Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today I want to talk to you from the subject, lost and found. Lost and found. We're going to speak on the parable of the prodigal son. It's an incredible story. One of the most amazing stories ever told by anyone in all of history. And we're going to look at this week, the younger son. Next week, the older brother. And then the following week, we're going to look at the father. And then we'll go into the Christmas season. This is an amazing story because it's all about reconciliation. It's all about redemption. It's all about forgiveness. And this story is not for them. It's for you. It's not for others. It's for us. Think of the accusation that the Pharisees levied against Jesus. This man receives sinners. Thank God for that accusation. Thank God for that truth. Thank God that he does. And more than receives, he accepts and he loves and he eats with them. And and in response to that, God speaks this incredible parable. And this parable is all about reconciliation with your father, with the Almighty. And and this this is a parable about how God receives you, how God forgives you, and how God redeems you. He's a good God. And today, I want to use this story as a framework for continual reconciliation. Because, you know, when you get saved, that is your prodigal son moment. But the reality is, Many times we get off track again. We get lost again. We miss the mark again. And in that, we need continual reconciliation with our father. Now, if it was any earthly father, he would say, enough is enough. You've left too many times. You've gone too off course. You've made too many mistakes. But we serve a God that has unending love and faithful grace and continually reconciles and redeems his children. So today, I want to speak to you about returning to God and receiving his grace, lost and found. Have you ever gone through a lost and found? Maybe at your work, maybe at school. You know what's interesting about these lost and founds is the quality and strangeness of the items that make their way into the lost and found. Isn't it true? Sometimes you will find stuff that should be on the antique road show in in that lost and found. You know, there's always one shoe, not two shoes, one shoe. And you would think, how did this person get home? There's always one shoe. Have you ever seen in a lost and found something of high quality, like a sweet coat? And you think, how long is this lost until it is lost forever? And can be claimed. What is it? Three weeks? No. Six months? One year? There's got to be a time. There's got to be a time limit. It's funny how things end up in the lost and found. What journey did these items take to arrive here? How on earth did this strange assortment of things get put together? And and, and, and if you've never seen a lost and found at, at school or at, uh, at work, I, you know you have a lost and found in your home. It's called the junk drawer. 
You know what I'm saying? Somehow, every house has this holy grail, this sacred space. It's the junk drawer. And no matter what you do with the junk drawer, it will always remain the junk drawer. I don't know how it began, but it's a tale as old as time. When, uh, when we were at the hospital, uh, uh, some of, uh, of the young women leaders that are amazing, helpful in our family, uh, they, they came to our house and they, they prepared it for us to bring the baby girl home, had gifts and everything, and it was really an awesome thing. But of all the, the great stuff that they did for my wife and my baby girl when they opened the door and walked in, it was so beautiful and stunning, but of all of the, the amazing things they did, they cleaned the junk drawer. It was shocking. We opened it up, things were bagged. They were zip-tied. They were assorted. You know all those cables and wires that you don't know where they came from and you don't... And of all the wires you have, you never have the right wire. All in the junk drawer. They were all zip-tied. It was amazing. That was five weeks ago. It is now a junk drawer. We're back. (laughs) You know, what's so interesting about the parable of the prodigal son is this kid, he got lost. He, he, he made his way into the junk drawer of life. And, and he looks around, and he has this moment where he says, how did I, how did I even get here? How, what, what steps did I take? Which direction did I go? What mistakes did I make that I might end up here? He was the one shoe in the lost and found. He was the, the, the person that, that didn't fit the wayward son. And Jesus tells this story of this starving young man. He was a lost young man. He was a broken young man. And what's so amazing about it is Jesus doesn't hold back. He shows that this young man had become unclean in every way. And here he is lost. Lost amongst pieces that he should not be around. This was a young Jewish boy. And here he is around pigs. They weren't allowed to touch pigs. They weren't allowed to be near pigs. In fact, in Galilee, where Jesus most likely told this story, there was a separation. On one side were the, uh, the Gentiles. On the other side of the lake were the Jews. And on the Gentile side, they, held, they, they farmed pigs. So the Jews wouldn't even go to the other side of the lake. That's how uh, far away they kept themselves from these sorts of things. And here Jesus shows this young man he has left his father, betrayed his village, run away from his upbringing, and he's found himself not just with the pigs, but covered in mud, and he's wanting to eat even what the pigs eat, yet his master won't even let him eat what the pigs eat beneath animals in the sight of the man that he's serving. And and here he is starving, and Jesus, and the Bible's so amazing because it doesn't hold back. He's saying you can't get lower than this, and you can't get dirtier than this. He's unclean spiritually. He's unclean physically. He's unclean mentally. The Bible says he came to himself, which means before that, he lost himself. He had lost his mind. He was in a haze, and he was in a fog. Have you ever been there where you feel like things aren't even connecting, where there's no clarity, where there's no, where there's no uh, freedom in the way that you think? There's no strength in your mind or your spirit. This is where this young man was. There's no other word to say than lost. He was absolutely lost, surrounded Surrounded by things he never should have been around, in a situation he never should have found himself in. And the Bible says he begins to reflect. He says, how did I even get here? What was the journey that brought this man 
to this destination. What he's asking himself is, how did I lose myself? How did I lose my way? How did I lose my status? How did I lose my identity? How did I lose my mind? How did I lose my clarity? How did I lose myself? Because there was a point where I wasn't like this. And there's something deep down within me that knows that I'm really not like this. So what got me here? He begins to reflect. Repentance, true repentance, always begins with reflecting. Reflecting is a good and a godly thing. What's going on? Why am I feeling this way? What brought me to this place? Sometimes we feel something and we say, since I feel this way, that is my new status. But what, what brought you to this place? How did I get here? He, he, he reflects. And the first step that we see in the story of the prodigal son, the first step we see towards the pigsty, the first action was he left the father's house. That was the first step. The first step towards the swine is always leaving the safety of the father's house. It was the choice to leave the father's house that left that 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 inevitably brought him to living with the swine. And let me say this, I have seen so many times, year over year, person over person, situation over situation, that the choice to leave the father's house almost always inevitably ends with the swine. You can't, you can't focus in on the first steps right after leaving the house because you're flush with cash then. You're filled with blessings then. You got lots of friends then. You're out partying then. You're doing your own thing then. But the story's not done. Let me just tell you the end of the story of leaving the father's house. It's always ending up with the swine. You know, Pastor Justin showed last week a bunch of different reasons on the reasons people leave the church. And there are many different reasons. But the reality is, no matter what your reasons are, let me tell you what the destination is. It's pigs. It's uncleanliness. It's brokenness. It's starvation. He wasn't even able to eat what the pigs eat. Is that who you are? The Bible says your word is as sweet as honey to my lips. There's better food. Jesus says, I don't need to eat because I'm doing the will of my Father. That is my sustenance. What am I saying? I'm saying when you get out in the world, you have to start eating what the world eats. And then even at that, they won't even deny you. They'll deny you even that. You think I'll get out there. I'll become rich. I'll become famous. I'll become influential. I'll just have everything and everybody. I'll have stuff at my whim. But you'll get out there and you'll find out, "Uh uh-oh, even this. I used to be a son. Now I'm a slave. A servant to a man that hates me. Servant to a man that won't give me anything. And I'm stuck with a bunch of pigs. And they're people. But they're pigs. And now you've become like them. You look like them. You smell like them. You act like them. You eat like them. What happened? You left the father's house. You left the safety and the protection. The guardianship. The holiness. The atmosphere. Can I tell you the father's house on earth? isn't perfect, but it is his house. And there is something so special about it. And there is something so holy about it. And it is a mirror image of your home in eternity. He left the father's house and whatever his reasons were, the reality is the enemy was pushing him in this direction. He, the enemy was, um, 
was whispering justifications to leave all along the way because the enemy's goal is always to get you amongst the pigs. He says, I'm going to leave my father's house. And he comes to the father and he says, I want my inheritance early. Can I tell you the inheritance is a good thing. The inheritance is his thing. The Bible talks on and on about our inheritance. So I want you to know getting his inheritance wasn't the wrong thing. It was the right thing at the wrong time and the wrong way. I want my inheritance, but I want it now. I want it my way. I want it on my terms. I want it on my timing. I want it now. The ramifications of this must have been immense, especially in that culture in that time. It was as if he was saying to his father, because you're not dead yet, I want to live as if you are. you got to imagine how heartbreaking this is for the father to hear. The father is broken by this request and he's humiliated amongst all the villagers. He's humiliated by everyone in the town. When Jesus told this part of the story, the Pharisees must have recoiled. What? How dare him ask for that inheritance? That's not even his. The father made all that money. The father was the one that got all those gains. The father's the one that sacrificed. If the father said no inheritance for you, he would have been justified. How dare this young man come with the spirit of entitlement and say, I want what you got, and I want it right now. I want God, but on my terms. I want blessings, but I want it on my timing. I want, I want religion, but I want it my way. Is this not society? Is this not even what we do all the time? I, I love God but I want you on my terms and I want you in my, in, in my timing. And, and, and what we can do if we are not careful, we'll end up living on God's gains, but for ourselves. Let me give you the word, the, the phrase to describe it. It's spiritual hedonism. It's spiritual hedonism. That it is that we use spiritual language, spiritual principles even, but all for the pursuit of self-pleasure. That's what the word blessings has even become. The word's blessings is let me get. The word's blessing is let me be. And God's blessing is so good, but it's the overflow. What does Job say? Even if you slay me, still I will worship you. Because I am not here to get from God. I'm not here only because of the inheritance. If you choose to give it to me, that is up to you. But I'm here to become a child. I'm here to be the son. I'm here to be a daughter. I'm here to, 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 to be under your atmosphere, your guardianship, your kingship. Spiritual hedonism is I want God's stuff, but I want it minus God. Now, I want God's blessing, but I don't want God's principles. I, I want the goodness but I, but I don't want to follow Jesus. Like, like, I want the life that Jesus gets, but I want to go my own way. Come on, is this not what we do? Is this not what we struggle with all the time? The, the prodigal son is not them, it's me. It's you. It's us. It's, it's what we see all around us in society. And we live in a very spiritual society. It's very spiritual. 
There are very few hardcore atheists in society. And in the new generation, even less. We live in a very spiritual society. But the way they're trying to gain access through God, to God, to other dimensions, is through spiritualism, through drugs, through strange experiences, through sensuality. I want the spirit, but I don't want the word. I want the blessings, but I don't want to walk that path. I want, I want what the Father gives, but I don't want the Father's correction. And this is the thing that rises up in us. And what we can do through this is we can replace God with good. We think good is God, but good is not God. God is good, but good is not God. The inheritance was good. The son was good. The father was good. The home was good. The riches were good. It was all good. But the young man said, I want the good, but I don't want, I don't want God. And what did he lose? Well, he lost becoming a servant, servanthood. He lost learning and growing in faithfulness. You know what he lost? He lost maturity. He lost maturity. So he, he got stuff. But he lost the things that really mattered. And you know the shocker to me in this story? Is that God gives in. The, short, the story should have ended right there. A young man came to his father and said, I want the portion of your property right now. As if you were dead. And the story should have gone, and all the Pharisees would have thought it would have gone, no. <laughs> the end. Roll credits. God as the father. You as the son. Roll credits. No. But that's what's so shocking about this story. I mean, it's just a series of shocks. And the first shock is that God says, okay. You don't have to. He shouldn't. By, by anything we know of that society, that culture, God should not give in to this whiny, petulant brat. But God gives in. And, and my thought is, wait, shouldn't God not let us do something that will end up harming us? Shouldn't God say, no, you're foolish. No, you're young. No, you don't know the ramifications. No, you don't know where that's going to lead. You think that father, in his maturity, didn't know what was about to happen with his hard-earned money? You think that father didn't know the nature of this kid? That he was, that he was, this father saw him buying tickets to Vegas three days ago. He knows who this kid is. He knows where this is going to go. It's his son. He knows what young men do. And, 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 and yet the father allows him to make poor decisions with his life. That's free will. That's, that's what happens in the garden. That God says, I'm not going to make you a slave. I'm not going to. I'm going to make you a son, a daughter. I'm going to allow you to choose me or to reject me. And this is, this is the truth. Is that God will not interrupt and intervene and interfere in every bad decision you're going to make. He won't stop you. He won't stop you. He won't lock the car doors and throw the key. He won't do it. He will give in. And he will allow you to go the way that you want to go. But he's faithful to provide a better way. He's faithful for his spirit to give you checks and convictions. He's faithful to say, follow me. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Because the reality is all of us are going to come to moments in our lives, crossroads in our lives, where our desires 
are juxtaposed against our destiny. And we're going to have to choose. Do we choose our desires or do we choose our destiny? Do we choose pleasure or do we choose our father? Do we choose our feelings and, and our, let me say it this way, do we choose our flesh or do we choose a life of faith? It's amazing that God allows us to make this choice. And it, not just once, this is the choice of Monday through Friday. This is the little choices and the big. This is the choice of our marriage. This is the choice of our career. You came to church here today, this was a choice. Where you say, you woke up and you say, today I'm going to choose my destiny over my desire. My desire was to sleep in. My desire was to stay in. My desire was to watch online. But I'm going to choose my destiny. I'm going to go to the Father's house. This is a choice. It's a beautiful thing. But, but you have to know about God is that God will let you make the choice. And that's a scary place to be. I mean, do you know, remember the story of the rich young ruler? This was a good young man. He came to Jesus and said, I, I've kept all the law. I have been good. And now I want to follow you. And Jesus says, okay, all you have to do is sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And what was Jesus saying? He's saying, if you want me to be your God, you have to sell your God. His riches was his idol. You have to sell your God if you want me to be your God. You remember the story? The Bible says the rich young ruler dropped his head and walked away. And now we would think the rest of the story, Jesus says, no, no, it's okay. Just 10%. Just tithe. Just be generous. But Jesus doesn't run after him. Jesus lets this young man walk away because God will give you the power of choice. Your desire or your destiny. It's like many times we find ourselves in a tug of war with God. What, what, with what we want and the direction we want to head and the things we want to do. And God is over here saying, yeah, but this will really help you. And this is wisdom. And you don't know what you're talking about. And we're over here like, but I feel. But I feel. <laughs> and God's over here saying, but I created you. But I know you. But I'm looking at your children. And I see their children. And you're like, but I love her. And he's like, she's not the one. Trust me. <laughs> but eventually, and you've all had this happen, you tell you, or God will let go. All right. And every time God lets go, what happens? We stumble backwards. We stumble backwards into the direction we really want to go. But many times we shouldn't. God won't play tug of war forever. Remember, he's a still small voice. And Jesus invites us, come follow me. I'm not going to chase after you. You follow me. And, and I, I just want to say this. Listening to Jesus' voices, many times it's in the little things, not in the big things. There are big momentous decisions in life, who, who, who you marry and, and who you follow and, and who your, your God is and where you work and where you live. Those are big. But the reality is life is lived in the everyday. And following Jesus is in the everyday. So it's in the little things. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, hey, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't watch that. Don't go there. And, and maybe the Holy Spirit's not always saying don't. Maybe he's saying instead, you know, do this and speak to them and let that, let that person know you are praying for them. You're like, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. They might think I'm weird with all of their crystal amulets around their cubicle. They might think I'm strange. <laughs> but can I tell you, if you can't follow the leading of the voice in the Holy Spirit in the little things, you'll never get it right on the big things. You'll never get it right when it really counts. It's the little things. 
It's the little things that re- lead you in the right direction. Do you know what sin is defined as? Sin means missing the mark. And the reality is sin is just being off a little bit. But the more you miss the mark a little and continue it, eventually you're off the target. Eventually you're off the range. And God has to bring you back. I mean, it's following Jesus is making the right choices in the everyday. Have you, ever, have you ever been driving somewhere and you got off on the wrong exit? And then all of a sudden the ETA went from like 15 minutes to like 45 minutes. And it leads you all the way back to your house and then back again to your destination. Like, what? <laughs> it's amazing what one misstep, what wrong, one wrong choice can do. Imagine how much a series of them can do. The Bible says that the young man went to a faraway country. He went to a faraway land. And he, he wasted the father's money in, in, in reckless living. In other words, this young man, he, he moved so far away from his destiny. He moved so far away that he left the country. He rejected the values that he was raised in. He rejected his family. In other words, he ended up living in the world. He left the country of his father, and he ended up living in the world. And, and, and now... He is so far gone and, and, and so lost. It's like a haze comes over him. He loses it all. And you know, it's so funny. People say, well, what did he do? The Bible just says reckless living. But what did he do specifically? I'm going to help you answer that question right now. What did the prodigal son do specifically? What did you do specifically? That's what he did. It was reckless living. It was foolishness. We know what it looks like and feels like to be a prodigal. Until he finally looks at it around and he says, how the heck, how did I get here? I'm far away from my actual destination. I'm a long way off. And I don't recognize this place. I don't recognize who I'm serving. I don't recognize who I'm around. And the Bible says in one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture, he came to himself. That's an awakening. He came to himself only because the Holy Spirit allows him. He came to himself and he asked this question, is this who I really am? Is this who I'm called to be? He had an awakening and he says, I need to go back home. I need to go back to the place of honor. I need to go back to the place of my birthright. I need to go back home. I want to give you three ways, three ways a framework that you can use to find your way back home. That you can use every week. You can use this every day. How to, wet, how to make your way back home to your father, to the family, to the festival. How to make your way back home. The first thing he says, he came to himself and the Bible says this. He remembered God's goodness. The first way to make, the first step in making your way back home is to remember the goodness of God. He remembered God's goodness. He says, my father's hired servants have more than enough. They've got more than enough. What's that? That's blessings. See, what what he had a revelation of in this moment was who his father is, a sign that he never saw his father. This was a revelation that, that God is Jehovah Jireh. There's 16 names for God. One of them is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. This is the revelation that Abraham got 
when he was about to kill Isaac, but the angel stayed his hand and provided a a ram caught in the thicket. And and Abraham said, okay, I know who you are. I, I see a new side of you now. You're the one that provides so that I don't have to provide. This young man could not provide for himself. And isn't it amazing that his new master in the foreign country wanted to starve him to death? Because see, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to mock you. He wants to break you. And he wants to starve you. So in that moment, he realized the side of his father that he never saw when he grew up in it. He never understood just how good his dad was. That his dad was providing not just for himself, his family, his sons, but even the the servants who worked for him were radically blessed. And he said, oh my goodness, I realized something about Jehovah. He is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. The Bible says this in Matthew 20. Jesus says this. Jesus says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came not to be provided for, but to provide and to give his life for a ransom for many. Romans 2 says this, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? It is the goodness. When this young man was stuck in the muck, what did he remember? He remembered the goodness of his father. Can I ask you right now, will you take a moment and will you remember a time where God was undeservingly good to you? Do you remember a moment in your life where you didn't deserve and yet God gave? Can you thank God right now for that moment in your life where he was good beyond compare to you. See, the first step in coming back to God is remembering who God really is. He is good. And see, you have to remember this because you might think, I can't go back because because I'm going to be mocked, or I can't go back because I'm going to be ashamed, or I'm going to be guilty, or I can't go back because I've screwed things up, but you have to know who you're going back to. Not an angry God, not a vengeful God, but a loving God who has been good to you all along, and he is going to continue to be good to you. So keep going back. Keep going back. Make your way back home. Remember the goodness of God. The second step on making your way back home is to reject entitlement. He says to himself, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired servants. He says, this is what I'm going to say to my father. I'm no longer worthy to be a son, but I know how you treat your servants. And I've seen how the world treats its servants. Will you just please at least make me like one of your servants? What he's making this powerful decision. I am a son, but I'm willing to serve. This is the model of Jesus. In Philippians 2.6, the Jesus model is this, Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Come on, there's a whole sermon right there. He emptied himself. He willingly gave. He willingly forsook all that he was by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. This is Jesus' model. Though son, I choose to serve. You have to reject entitlement as you come closer to God. And we see, this, we see this incredible changeover that happens. In the, this is amazing. 
aspect of the story. In the beginning of the story, he says to the father, give me. Luke chapter 15, verse 12, he says, give me. But now that he's gone through hell, and he's, he's been hit by life, and how many know life has a way of humbling you? So funny, I was, I was hanging with someone recently, and I haven't, haven't, I haven't hung out with them in a long time, they, since I was much younger. And he was asking me, what's your opinion on this? And I was saying, I don't know. I'm not sure. What's your opinion on that? Huh? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Every, I don't know all the stuff involved. What's your opinion? And, and, and I had not much to say. And he goes, what happened to you? And I said, life. Life happened to me. It's been difficult to be an opinionated person these last few years. You know, life happened. Life has a beautiful way of humbling you. You can be bitter about it. You can be angry about it. You can rage against it or be hateful. Or you can change the way you approach life. You can reject entitlement. You can grow into responsibility. He moves from give me, but at this point he says, no, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say this, make me. Make me. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. He moves from a place of being entitled to a place of discipleship. Form me, Lord. Change me, Lord. Rearrange my mind. Give me right values. I pray that all of us walk into this place of Christian maturity, that we don't see God as a supernatural piggy bank, but instead we do see him as a loving father that has more to give than just financial blessings. He's got responsibility, he's got meaning, he's got life change, he's got ways of thinking, and he wants to build up around you children and a, a great marriage and legacy, but the only way he can do that is if he fixes you. If he makes you. And, and, and I pray that we move from this unspiritual way of viewing God. Uh, or, 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 or maybe unspiritual is the wrong way of, of viewing it. But this immature way of viewing God. Where we say, God, give. And we move into maturity where we say, no, I know I'm a son. I know I'm a daughter, but I'm here to serve you. God, form me. God, make me look like you. This is the beautiful process of maturity. And some Sometimes you only learn that when you took a shot at running your own life. And you always end up in the pigs. And then you say, I think my dad has got something to give. <laughs> Father, make me. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. This is a beautiful position to approach God with. God, I don't know it all. God, I, I'm unformed, but will you make me? And then the third way of making your way back home is you receive forgiveness. But while the Bible says he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. You know what's so amazing about this is even after all of his realizations and all of his journeying, he didn't find the father. The father found him. The Bible says he was still a long way off. But his father saw him, and his father felt compassion, and his father ran to him, and his father embraced him, and his father kissed him. What did the young man do? Barely anything. He just said, I'm going to ask for forgiveness, and he turned towards the father. And then instantly, Jesus springs into action. The father says, I'm going to find you. I'm gonna he, he saw him because he was searching for him. He was moved by compassion. He embraces him. He kisses him. He loves him. The reality is the, 
that he didn't find the father, the father found him. I love what Andrea said when she was being baptized today. She says, I am free and I am found. That is the process of reconciliation. We are free because we are found. And yeah, we can turn towards God, but really we need God to turn towards us. The Savior searches out his sons. The divine rescues his daughters. And and you can see it, right? The whole way towards the Father, he was repeating this speech. He was saying, I am no longer worthy to be called, called your son. Just two times in Scripture we see him say this twice. So we're seeing a pattern. I am no longer worthy. I'm no longer worthy. You can see him repeat it. Have you ever been in a tough situation where you want to say the right thing and so you practice it? He was in trouble and he wanted to say the right thing. What he came up with was, I am no longer worthy. But even in that, the enemy gets the upper hand because the enemy has him speak a mantra over his life that the father would never have him speak over his life. He's saying, I am no longer worthy. He's repeating, can I, can I just encourage you? Even when you're amongst the pigs, even when you screwed up, even when you're not um, in the house of God, be careful what you speak. And more than that, do not amen, do not make a mantra, anything that the enemy would agree with. He's speaking words that the Father would never say. And he's allowing a spirit of shame to come over his life. I am no longer worthy. That means I am ashamed. I am ashamed. And, and, and that spirit gets to reign over his life because he is coming into agreement with it. And, and this is what the enemy does all the time. You know, maybe even on Sunday morning when you are pulling in, you hear a spirit that says, you don't belong here. And if you're not careful, you could say it. Even as you're walking in the front doors, I don't belong here. The greeter says hi to you. Welcome home. I don't belong here. Worship's going on and you're, you're worshiping because everyone else is lifting their hands. But in your mind, you're saying, I, I don't belong here. Can I tell you, that is not the voice of your father. Well, you might, you might say, well, you know, but I've missed so many opportunities. I took all that God's given me and I squandered it. Can I tell you that those missed opportunities, they do not define who you are. That God has more than enough. God has new doors, new rivers, new streams, new roads, new ways. He's a good God. But I, I see so many times people say, I can't go to church, or, or I, I couldn't join that, or I couldn't be a leader because I've screwed up so much of my life. I'm 45 now, and I've missed those opportunities. Well, what if God gives you another 45? Don't amen the enemy too early and too often. I missed it. I got my inheritance early and I missed my calling. The Bible says the gifts of God are without repentance, which means they will last as long as you last. And you're an eternal being, so they are eternal gifts. And and I want to say one more thing. He's saying I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What is he saying? He's saying I've lost my identity. The Father is the one that gives identities. I've lost my identity. I'm no longer worthy. But the reality is you are never worthy You were never worthy to be called your son. You were just son. You were born son. 
He was thinking about his father in the wrong way. He was thinking about his father through a lens of what I do. But God looks through the lens of who you are. And so he comes to the father and he he starts to say that speech. He starts to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So so make me one of like your hired hands. I want to read it because it's it's so so powerful. It, It says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, this is the moment where he's going to come up with his plan. Now, make me like one of your hired hands. But the Bible says the father doesn't even let him finish. And the father doesn't even acknowledge him. As he's making his prepared, shame-filled, horrible, messy speech that he's repeated over and over, that the enemy's saying, like, yeah, yeah, talk more about your unworthiness. Give your plan. As he's trying to make this speech, the father doesn't even acknowledge what his son's saying. He cuts him off, and he begins to talk to the other servants, and he says, get him a robe. That's royalty. Get him a ring. That's authority. Get him shoes. That's identity and direction again. I want you to prepare a celebration. Hold on. I know you got something to say. But my son who was dead, he says, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He says, I make you worthy. (laughs) I give you blessings. And then he makes this declaration, not just to his son, but to everyone else that was there. Those that were going to be judging him. Those that were going to be shocked by what was happening. He says this, because this, my son was dead. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You don't get to determine your worthiness. The father decides if you're his son or his daughter. And so he says, because this, my son, he was dead and he is now alive. He was lost, but he is now found. I want to say this. I believe God is glad that you're here. I I believe that God is glad that you're coming back to his house every Sunday. I think he's glad that you're pursuing him. And I don't know what level on the journey you're at. Maybe you feel like you are still stuck in the muck. Maybe you feel like you're still a long way off. Maybe you feel like, no, I'm in the process of being redeemed, robed, cleansed. Wherever you are in this story, I want to encourage you. The Father loves you. He's for you. He sees you. He embraces you. And most of all, he always receives you. The enemy's accusation is how dare you receive sinners. And what Jesus says is they're not sinners, they're sons. They're his children whom he loves and he delights. And Jesus always makes room for reconciliation. Isn't that powerful? The world has no room for reconciliation right now. The world has no room for forgiveness which makes the gospel as radical as it's ever been, there is room for forgiveness in the house of God. There's room for redemption, change, love, and the embrace of the Almighty. And I believe all the things that you lost and the enemy stole, God can give them back in a moment. Isn't it cool? He still has the best robe and he's still got the, he's still got it all. Even what he gave, he's got more. He's a good God and he can replace the stuff but it's the relationship that God cares most about. God loves you, he's for you. God wants to redeem you in the big and in the everyday. So if you find yourself lost on Tuesday, Wednesday, next month, next year, here's the process of reconciliation. Remember God's goodness. Reject your own entitlement. Come home and receive forgiveness. 
Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon. Thank you.